Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is Catholics in Nagasaki. Not many people know that when the second atomic bomb was dropped in the Japanese city of Nagasaki, the Catholic Cathedral was almost at the center of the blast. And we're here to talk about that today. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Gwyn McClelland, author of the book Dangerous Memory in Nagasaki and a lecturer in the University of New England. Welcome, Gwyn. Thank you very much. It's good to have you here. But before we get started, just a reminder to listeners that if you like the show, you should subscribe on your podcast app and that way you won't miss an episode. Before we get started, a brief historical context. August 9, 1945, just after 11 a.m., the bomb codenamed Fatboy exploded over the Japanese city of Nagasaki. 60 to 80,000 people, approximately one-third of the population of that city, died from the blast and subsequent damage of the bomb. What's not commonly known is that at the centre of the blast, about 500 metres from the centre in fact, was the Urakami Cathedral, a Catholic church, and the construction of this church had dated back to 1895. That's when it began, at least. So firstly, Gwyn, this is your area of study. You've researched this particular particular Catholicism in um, Japan yeah. and the response to these things. What, what were Catholics doing in Japan? I mean, if I had to pick a nation, you know, a Christian, they I wouldn't have spotted them as a Christian nation. So what was going on there? Sure. Uh, well, it actually goes right back to the, the 1500s. Uh, we have Xavier. Uh, we have like a number of different missionaries arriving in Japan. And we um, like there was waves of missionaries, actually, the Catholic missionaries that came in with the Spanish and the Portuguese back then. And then, you know, 250 years of kind of seclusion where Japan shuts down on most foreign trade and the, the Christian missionaries are also excluded, but then uh, from the 18, 1860s onwards, then the, the, the Catholic missionaries started to come back, and especially the French mission became quite important. Right. So in the 1860s, the French were there, and so 1895 is still quite some time after that, so 30 years or so. That's when they yes. started building the cathedral. That seems to indicate a fairly solid Catholic presence by then, though. You don't build a cathedral for three people. That, that's that's right. So and and what the French missionaries found was that that there there'd actually been uh, people who had to some to some degree carried on some faith throughout that period of time, and so there was communities and and the the community in northern Nagasaki at this time, in the eighteen sixties seventies were actually out of this hidden kind of what scholars started to call hidden Christian communities uh, in the area. Yeah, hidden Christian is quite literal in that case because they weren't generally known to the authorities or they weren't advertising the fact that they were Christian for obvious reasons. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the the mission, the um, Japanese Catholics actually trace themselves back and they can, you know, um, talk about when their communities went into hiding, you know, way back in the 1600s and and sort of look at where they went and and how they sought refuge and so on and so forth. So what were they hiding from? Just briefly, I mean, we, we want to get onto the the actual mm-hmm. effect of the bomb, etc. But what were they hiding from back then? Sure. Well, it began with some waves of martyrdoms. Um, so there was there was martyrdoms that occurred, uh, and so 
you know, they were they were basically trying to hide their faith because um, Christianity people were became, killing them for being Christians. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. So um, now, was that a Christian, state level persecution, or was it just a local kind of lynch mobbing? Uh, it, it was it was state led. So the Tokugawa government arrived in sixteen hundred one or two, and from that point on, um, Japan became much more united, and and so um, there was a state persecution. Led by the Nagasaki right. magistrate, and were they were they resisting Christianity because of its Western influence, or were they resisting it on some other grounds? Uh, well, that's an interesting point, uh, interesting question, because of course there was merchants and there was colonialization that happened, like in, in the, those centuries. And so, you know, what were the motives? Uh, it definitely was some fear of the foreigner to some degree. So, um, so there was there was mixed kind of. There was some concerns about what was going on, and but there was also the the poor. There was a concern about revolts, and so so there was various things going on there. Yeah, interesting that Christianity quite often, even right at the beginning, uh, was very appealing to the poor, to the lower, you know, the underprivileged castes, the the ones who were slaves, etc. In fact. Roman, we have some Roman writings saying that uh, Christians appeal to women and the and the slaves much more because of the message of equality, of freedom, uh, of those sorts of things. So, not too surprising. Now, there was quite a significant um, community for Japan in Nagasaki. When the bomb dropped, it seems to have hit most of them. Um, is that correct to say that most of the Christians went? were in that one third of people who died in Nagasaki. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So 60 to 70%, in fact. Wow. And I think I read somewhere that there was a mass, like a very big high mass going on because it was a feast day on at the time uh, and that yes. everybody in that mass was taken. Yes, I, th- I think um, there were a number of priests who were killed um, who were actually in uh, celebrating a mass in the cathedral. At the time, uh, but of course, it um, now the Nagasaki atomic bomb was actually of a higher. It was a higher explosion than the the Hiroshima case, so um, people died up to four and a half kilometres away. Compared to in Hiroshima, it was more within a three kilometre radius. But right. because of the valley, the the topography of Nagasaki is very different to Hiroshima, and so it was held into the valley. And the Americans had dropped it in the north, which meant that the city itself uh, was somewhat protected. Right. I'd heard that, and I'd heard that the, the, while there was a, along the valley, there was a lot of destruction, but it was restrained in there. And there's, it, that was, of course, where lots of Catholics had chosen to live, to be around the cathedral area. So that's why the Christian community took such a hit. Yeah, yes. so it's not a great look um, in history for the the US to be dropping a bomb right on top of a Catholic community. Um, it certainly was, wouldn't have been the image they wanted. But even now, it's not a popular image. I'm I'm struggled to find this uh, story on the mm-hmm. regular history site. So the question has to come up: What puts a man like yourself on this trail? I mean, clearly you're interested in these this history, but um, what leads you over there to start listening to their stories? One part of that was as a child, I was um, living in Asia and and we we met a Japanese missionary family as it, as it happened. And this um, Japanese family, we couldn't really communicate with them. But um, what, the one thing I remember they gave me was a cartoon. It was a cartoon story of Hiroshima. <laughs> and so 
So, um, but it was in English. So I, that was the, the thing I could read. And so wow. I, I sort of became fascinated. <laughs> so, wow. So they, oh, the cartoon in English from Japan about a Russian, that's amazing. Yeah. So you, yeah. You've, you were telling me off air that um, you'd, be, you'd been there and listened to many stories. This is part of your, and obviously the results of this come out in, in your book that we mentioned in the yeah. intro, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Can you tell us some of the stories, and particularly I'm interested in the effect on the Catholic community, the profound, firstly the immediate effect on the, the devastation, but then as the, as it unfolds into their faith and their life from then on? Sure. So I ended up speaking with 12 different survivors, and nine of them were uh, Catholic survivors. And so I was able to really look into the Catholic story and the Catholic narratives about um, how they understand that the impacts exactly what you're talking about so just to to give maybe one example for a start there was a guy ozaki tome and he was 17 at the time um he was you know um like most of the 16 17 year olds he was a you know advanced high school age student and so he was put into armaments so he was building torpedoes in a factory underground factory uh so because he was in the underground factory he was uh, protected from the explosion. Uh, but, you know, the lights went out. And so his story was about um, really emerging from the tunnel and then what he found and his world had been turned absolutely upside down. Um, 17 years old, he's he only had a mother at that stage. His father had died previously. So, of course, his first move was to go home and try and find his mum. And... Uh, <laughs> The interesting part about this is he invited me to a hairdresser. And so, you know, um, what I'm telling you right now, he told me uh, while he was sitting, you know, getting his hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I tended to be really just quite impressed by the resilience and um, uh, in a way the matter-of-factness, you know, just the um, getting down to just explaining uh, what happened. But clearly there were, there was... Um, quite a lot of trauma and so different survivors depended on who you were talking to sometimes it would come out you you could really feel it it was more palpable and and in other cases it wasn't but um so so that's one example he told me about the cathedral actually he he spent 17 days or 18 days in the open and so at night he was just um sort of camping on a hill and he was looking out, and all he could see was the burning cathedral. And for him, this was this was the absolute, you know, this was the horror um, of it. And so that was that was one of his memories that came through. Mm. Um, yeah. Was well, the centre of their Catholic life there, and it represented all of their. Um, or they'd built it up fairly recently. It was only what was that? That was yes. still only fifty, less than fifty, just over fifty years old, or so. Or less than fifty years. Well, old. so it, it took a long time to build it. They finished it in nineteen thirty. Really, okay, I think so, they put right. the bells up in nineteen thirty. So, yeah. So, um, so this was the biggest um, cathedral in East Asia when it was finished. Right. So they were extraordinarily proud of because they actually I, d I didn't tell you that they were persecuted up to the eighteen seventies, and so you know some of them. Some of the people who had come back from exile, they um, they had photographs of them when the cathedral was finished. Right. And um, these were important, yeah. 
so as the story unfolds, though, you gave us one story there. How did they process this? I mean, how did the survivors even, you know, where is God in such a moment? Um, and and how do you rebuild yeah. a community? Yeah. So you know, this there's, there's a again I, one of the symbols which I, I sort of examined in my research into Nagasaki and talking with the survivors was was the understanding of Mary and. Um, Mary, the statues of Mary which survived the bombing became sort of a symbol of a divine presence, I think, that, that wow. God was with us. <laughs> and, and so for me that was quite, quite, quite significant. And I had at least, so there was, I can give you a couple of examples, but one of the survivors said, you know, my dad said to me, he also went, he, he and his father went looking for his mum. And they spent three days, he said, three days looking for his mother, couldn't find her. Uh, so, you know, there was numbers of people who just were vaporised, disappeared completely, never found. And so uh, he, his dad said to him, the the ascension of Mary was, I think, the 15th of August. It was, so it was yeah. They, in fact, the mass that was being celebrated as as the bomb hit was in honour of that feast. So, so in, in fact, um, he... His father said to him, "Well, maybe my maybe your mum went up to heaven, went straight up to heaven, <laughs> um, wow. just like Mary." He said, and so um, for him that stuck with him, and he was he was just repeating this to me. He's saying, "Well, I was trying to understand it, and um, I just wonder whether my dad was right, or you know, I, d- I don't know if that was true or not, but but this was um, yeah. one way that he was trying to work through it." Now, one of those statues um, named Agnes of Urakami is in the United Nations, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think just in the in terms of understanding the significance of atomic weaponry and, and nuclear weaponry now. So there's a a, um, a Mary statue as well, which which sort of well, there's a really fascinating story, but a Hokkaido a priest who went to Hokkaido, which is way up in the north of Japan, he apparently was stationed in Nagasaki soon after the bombing. He picked up this statue and then he, he ended up in Hokkaido and um, for many years it didn't come back, but it eventually came back to the community. And so one of the survivors who I spoke with told me how he helped to establish it as a shrine. And then when Pope Francis came, um, the one icon that was placed at the front of the Mass, uh, and that was in November last year, in the middle of a baseball stadium, was this um this particular damaged Mary statue. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Can you tell us anything about, was there any differences between the Catholic response, the Catholic kind of spiritual response and, and literary output coming out of that disaster and the the rest of the culture? Yeah, the, it it is, um, I think this is an important part of the story actually because the, it's, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that, um, like you said before, it's it's quite a um, difficult story because the Americans probably aren't really happy about the fact that they bombed the biggest Catholic community in Japan in 1945. So uh, the occupation decided nothing about the atomic bombing was to be told, nothing at all within Japan. So there was... There were stories about what happened, which which went around the world, and uh, you know people talk about. Um, there's a book, I think Hiroshima. Um, I'm, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but 
But in terms of Nagasaki, um, really no one knew anything in Japan until 1952, until the Americans left. And so um, the Catholic response, in some ways, they they had very little to say. They had very little they could say because, you know, as we know, this was utterly destroyed. Uh, most of them sought refuge in other places. They had to go to family, to Yokohama, all around Japan, um, and eventually come back. But uh, Nagai Takashi is is this guy who was a Catholic doctor, and many people have heard of him, and he was involved in the response and this, you know, um, he did a lot of really fantastic things, and I spoke to his grandson. Uh, he also then talked a little bit about providence and um, the possibility that maybe God allowed this to happen so that um, wow. the war could end, and so that you know th this this could be a, a really important thing. And so the the people who died, I think that this was actually a response to um, other people in Nagasaki saying at the time that you guys worship the enemy god, and so that's why you guys were demolished. Right, so the Japanese um, people looked at these Catholics and said, you guys were worshipping that Western god, the one that all the Westerners worship, if only they knew about America. Uh, and <laughs> and therefore, God was whoever was destroying um, them for that. That's, that's profound. It doesn't quite match with Hiroshima. It is interesting that in Nagasaki, as far as I understand, there was only a very small military presence, uh, leaving aside the, the industrial sort of work that was there, but there was a small military presence. And there were even some prisoners of war, allied prisoners of war, who were who went up in the bomb. So it's not a good story, morally speaking. And I just, in case the listeners have any ambiguity about this, the Catholic Church has very clearly said that this is an, a horrendous um, war crime and it's, and it's not... It's not at all permissible morally to target civilians in this kind of way, no matter what the outcome. You, we can't argue yeah. for um, uh, for a sort of a circumstantial or a, an outcome-based um, utilitarianism. We, we we have to condemn this kind of uh, targeting of non-combatants as abhorrent and completely immoral. Um, that's not ambiguous. The Catholic Church has always said that, but. Yeah. Uh, in terms of their response, seeing seeing God, that I still I have I have to say I struggle with that. It, I'm, I don't mm. want to have a go at the people who've actually been through it, but if they're prepared to say, you know, maybe you know it's a good thing that the war ended, etc. You're still talking about the lives of so many innocent people being sacrificed for that. Um, yeah. So I mean. I still had, you know, one survivor telling me, uh, well, I think it might have been actually a good thing that this happened because it did end the war. And, you know, so that there, there's, there's a lot of ambivalence and it's, it's not, a, not an easy thing to come to terms with. But I think yeah. most of the survivors were also talking about Pope John Paul II because when he came, he, you know, like what you were saying, he made it very clear um, that the, this weapon was something from humanity. Yes. And actually many of the survivors were really moved by by that statement and he also said to them you've got to talk about it. And so I think one of the reasons that the um the Catholic community hasn't really told their stories very much until more recently is is because they felt what can we say because if God allowed this to happen. Wow. <laughs> so well, can we say clearly then um uh, 
well, I'm going to say, um, as, a, as a Catholic, and as uh, I've studied a little bit of moral theology, but I can say very clearly the Catholic Church does not um, say that God does evil to achieve good. Sometimes evil happens yeah. because evil men do it, and God can work good from that, but God does not do evil to people in order that, uh, that um, something good happens. Uh, God mm. is not that kind of capricious God, and the people in Nagasaki hadn't angered him in some way. And you know, there's not that's not no, that's right. That's not yeah. theologically correct. Um, there, mm. there is more involved though in atomic destruction than there is in, say, conventional destruction, such as when London was bombed. And we've heard, we have mm. heard many stories coming out of London, perhaps less, but still some out of Dresden after the Allies bombed Dresden into oblivion. There's still a um, a different sort of flow-on effect from an atomic situation, um, the damage afterwards, for example. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that damage and perhaps even the stigma of having been a survivor of the atomic destruction um, in the Catholic community? Yeah, so I think I think obviously that, that the radiation, um, you know, is one of the things which makes it a c completely different um, kind of weapon. But, um, and so there was a whole lot of stigma about that um, in, this, um, in this particular place. And what I try to bring out in my book as well is that this community was already fissured, that there was already a division. And uh, that you mean the between the Catholics and the, and the rest of the community? Yes. And, and so um, actually what, what I was mentioning right at the start of the, the podcast, you know, the, the martyrdoms, tended to happen in this place called Nishizaka, which is right between um, this place called Urakami in the north, which is where the Catholics are, and then the city. And so you, you've got kind of a division there. And um, there is a local philosopher who sort of, um, I followed his lead in, in understanding how Nagasaki was broken into two, two parts. So the Americans just made this fissured city more obvious um, to the local local people so that the um, northern catholic generally less well off you know lower socioeconomic group um you know they'd, they'd been exiled in the 1800s so they came back and people had stolen their homes and right. things like that so they they were farming communities and, um, and they were the ones and, on which the bomb fell and yeah so they're the ones who bore the brunt right. um basically this marginalized group wow um so uh, there was a, an interviewee who told me about um, how she understood the radiation as germs. People would, would just say, it, you've got germs, basically, right. for her. So, uh, wow. so then when her daughter came to be married, um, the other family is going, uh, no, well, you know, she's, her daughter is not actually a bomb survivor, but she's, this, she's the daughter of a bomb survivor. And so... Maybe she's going to have these germs. Maybe she's going to have the, the radiation still. Right. So, so this kind of discrimination. Mm. When I looked it up, they, there's a Japanese term which I'm going to horribly mispronounce. Hibakusha. Is that right? No, that's 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 good. Yeah. So the, it, it refers yeah. to. I think you told me before we went on air that it refers to the irradiated, but it's a term used about the the survivors. But the, you're telling me now that there's a kind of a perception that this radiation. This this stigma passes through genetics. Wow, that's yeah. that's that's yeah. something hard to bear. Which it w wouldn't be unique to Catholics. There'd be a, a kind of a a general stigma attached to that. 
Yes, that's right. So it's not, it, it wasn't just the Catholic Hibaksha in any way. Like there was definitely discrimination against um, Hibaksha, you know, both right. Hiroshima and Nagasaki in this way. Yeah. So what can these uh, people and their experience and their, their if you like, their, their stories and their survival and their thriving sense, um, what can they teach us? And in particular, I'm interested in the Japanese Catholic experience, how they've, are they mo- still scattered or have they regathered and have they have they rebuilt the cathedral? Yes, so they did rebuild the cathedral for one thing. So uh, it was it took them till 1958. They um, they then they they actually raised the ruins and they put up a new cathedral, and that was very important for them. And uh, so so that was one one part of the reconstruction. Um, I think it's very different from one to another, but but certainly one of the the things that I think impressed me the most was that that they'd become and so Hibaksha we've talked about. There's another word called kataribe. Kataribe is a storyteller in Japanese society. So um, and they became storytellers in the end. That they they got to this point of being able to tell their story and. Um, for some of the survivors who I spoke to, the, the Catholic survivors were often in their 70s before they started to talk about it. And um, I actually was looking at it um, through the lens of the biblical story of Job to some degree. And, you know, some of them would talk about their body and how their body was aching and so still injuries from the atomic bombing. Um one of them, Nakamura Kazutoshi, he told me that that, that was actually why he ended up talking because he, he felt the pain. Um, he started to feel like he was going to die without talking about it. <laughs> and so he wanted to talk and he wanted to tell the kids. He wanted to tell the young people. So, Literally his pain talking. Yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, I have to say I'm going to read your book now. I'm intrigued. Um, <laughs> so I, we're going to put that in the links. Um Thank you for being our Kataribe, if I pronounce that anywhere near correctly. Um, and Perfect, in, yeah. In many respects, it's very important that that goes through uh, various media to the story goes out. Now, however we interpret it, however we struggle with the various events, uh, the, mm. the experience itself is something we shouldn't lose. We should uh, learn from that and particularly be inspired by their faith journeys. Um, you told me yep. off air some of the, the faith stories, and I, I think um, that's mm. going to be a much more powerful thing when people like you said job job the classic example of mm. suffering can i give you one one last one um go ahead ozaki tome i think i mentioned him before he he met me in the hairdresser well he decided when he became a brother in a um, catholic order that he would take on a new name and so he he named himself rather than uh one of the world saints he he chose one of the first 26 martyrs from 1597 and it was a youth so he was a 16-year-old and he'd written a letter home to his mother um, along the way and so this was a really powerful thing for Ozaki that um, his name and so Ozaki Tome is actually the name of the saint right um, the the Japanese saint wow uh, so I think I think that's a really powerful really interesting story, story yeah about faith. yes wow well thank you again that's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or wanting to read some more, then you should look in our show notes. But you should let us know. Let us let us know at thiscatholiclife.com.au or check us out on any of the social medias such as Facebook, 
uh, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, and you can find all the links in our website. Be sure to review us on iTunes um, so that other people can catch up with us. Remember that we're a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast, even if we're looking at the rest of the world through Australian eyes. Um, so we think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. Uh, before we go, Gwyn, we normally say hello to someone or shout out to someone at this point. Do you want to say hello to anyone? Uh, oh, I'll say hello to uh, Karen and Jordi and Lydia who have um, cheered me on in the writing of the book. So <laughs> thanks for that. Good stuff. <laughs> And I want to say um, a big hello to two friends who um, went to Japan, came back from Japan and got me interested in this kind of thing. And it's really only being there, I think, that uh, they could even relate some of the stories in, in a way that we can understand. That's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. <laughs>